Shri Guru Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai, Dauji Gopal ki jai, Gaur Bhaktabhinda ki jai, Gaur Premanande. Good evening, welcome Susan and Carolyn, very nice to meet you. So we gathered again to continue our discussion from Chaitanya Charitamrita. Chaitanya Charitamrita is a book composed by Krishnas Kaviraj Goswami, and he was, uh, as he's related in the book, kind of the uh, second generation from the founding um, charges or um, teachers of the whole lineage coming from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And uh, he very faithfully took the message, the insights, the, uh, the theology and philosophy um, put forward in, in the uh, Sanskrit language by the uh, founding charges or teachers and very faithful to that, he took that message and rendered it into into Bengali, which was a speaking vernacular. And uh, this way, he was very much instrumental in taking the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as they um, were formalized by the uh, six Goswamis, again the founding acharyas, and and um, instrumental in kind of circulating widely those insights because Sanskrit is, is, was the language for the highly educated sadhus, saints and so forth, rather than for the common uh, people. His book is, uh, is, is quite a scholarly work. It also consists of a number of, quite a number of Sanskrit verses. He will speak in Bengali, write in Bengali, and then he'll make a philosophical point and then he'll support it by referring to the sacred body of texts um, common to all the Hindus, and in doing so, show the particular Gaudiya interpretation of those texts um, in his own work. So it's a very important work, and it's a work that uh, uh, has been uh, referred to by persons in the academic community who have studied the Gaudi tradition as the final word. Um, final word, what they mean by that is that in the forming of the lineage and the literature that was the basis of that lineage, this was kind of the final word that brought together many different notions about Chaitanya and what he, who he was, what it was that he, his contribution was, and so on and so forth. So it formed the orthodoxy uh, of, the, of the tradition. Hmm? And it's a very important text, and it, it, it's a philosophical and theological book that is deeply insightful, but easy to read in the sense that it is that philosophy and theology is uh, couched in the narrative of the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So it's uh, Puranic in, in that sense, if you will, uh, referring to here a body of texts that um, uh, amongst the Hindu sacred texts that is 
similar, the Puranas are narratives. They take the, the, the kind of esoteric, uh, cryptic uh, language of the Upanishads. Upanishads, the word Upanishad means Upanishad, it means to sit close. The implication of it is that is that sit close and I will whisper something in your ear that is not something that the common general public is interested in. Inner, mostly the general public is interested in the outer world, if you will, the objective world, and identifying with it through the medium of the of the mind and senses through thoughts and things. We get wrapped up um, and almost to the point often of thinking ourselves to be a thing. <laughs> and, uh, of course, we're not, the best things in life are not things, so uh, that's good for us, but uh, that is uh, not the way the common people, the general public, thinks about it often, uh, unfortunately. Um, so, so, so sit close was the idea. <laughs> and now that... Uh, body of text, the Upanishads, which are thought to be sounds that are um, uh, without authorship. There might be likened to the idea in math. In mathematics, there are competing ideas as to whether math is something that is created by humans to describe the world, or whether math uh, mathematical formulas are discovered by human society and and they magically you know they 're telling something about about the natural world um, two schools of thought there um, so the Vedic sounds of the Upanishads are something like that mantras are something like uh, sound formulas like mathematical form, sound formulas and um, as we know, of course, physically speaking, everything has a sound. Even even inside the atom, the the orbit of the electrons or whatnot, they all have a sound attached to them. And there are scientific theories today in the modern world about the about this, at the bottom level, if you will, as, as low as or as deep as you can go into the subatomic world. There are there are sounds, um, harmonics, the the the, the the harmonics, there are, to carry this a little further, there are, of course, mathematical formulas that correspond with harmonics. Hmm. So, see what I'm saying? Um, with regard to the sounds of the Vedas, it's thought that the world comes out of sound, hmm. and there are certain sounds by which one can transcend the world. Hmm. Those are the ones we are most interested in. Because by, by transcending the world, the thought is you've understood it in essence. Hmm? for what it is. You see it from a different vantage point. Hmm? And so, um, following these sounds, of course, the sounds are of the Upanishads are written down at a certain point, but they're thought to be, have been discovered, if you will, and then recorded. And then you have a body of text among the sacred texts of the Hindus that it reflects on the sounds, and speaks about them and their implications through narratives. So they're a little easier to follow, and they have human authorship. Um, so when you tell a story, the Puranas are, are, are thought to be, um, well, the, 
the Upanishads are thought to be um, kind of the, the language of a king who just says, do this. It should be done like that. Oh. <laughs> There's no you know, necessarily explanation. It sounds a little bit uh, draconian, perhaps, but uh, but th- there's affection behind it. So, like a mother might say, "Don't do that." And she knows she loves you, so you don't do it. Hmm? But uh, while the, uh, the the Vedas speak like a king, if you will, and as I'm explaining, the Puranas are said to speak like a friend. Hmm? So let's take a walk. I'll tell you a story, and in the context of that. The same truths are explained, and then there's another type of literature that's that's spoken like a lover, hmm? the kavya, the poetic texts, and so forth. Interestingly enough, the Bhagavatam, Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the theological sequel to the Gita, in which this book that we're reading from tonight is the distilled essence of, speaks in all three of these languages. It speaks like a king, like a father, and like a lover, hmm? and primarily like like a lover. Hmm? So. So as the Puranas give the teaching in the context of a narrative, so Chaitanya Charitamrita is a narrative. Academically, it's called hagiography, or, or, or a, a, a narrative of a religious spiritual saint. Hmm? And um, the idea of the author is to, is to shed light on the person of Sri Chaitanya as he was experienced by the founding teachers of our lineage, Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, Jiva Goswami. Um, I'm not sure how familiar the two of you are with some of these names and language and so forth, so forgive me if I speak in ways that, that that's too high for some, it'll be too low for others, so a little patience. <laughs> and everybody's part is, 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 uh, is required, and that's a virtue, of course. So, a little introduction to what it is that we're reading from. The ch- literally, the Chaitanya Charitamrita means, Chaitanya means consciousness. Okay. By consciousness, here we don't mean to be aware of something, like I'm conscious of it. That is a function of consciousness. What we mean by consciousness is the sense of I. I am this sense. We may ask a person, what are you? Who are you, let's say? We sometimes want to know, who am I? So you might say, I'm John. And then you say, of course, well, John, your name could be changed to Michael. So obviously you're not John or Michael, either of these sounds. Yeah, of course, I'm just, it's a a referent. John is a referent, but I'm not that, right. So what are you, uh, whoever you are? <laughs> and then, you know, you might say, well, I'm this, this is what I am, I'm this biological and psychological uh, um, organism and biological organism and psychological um, arrangement, hmm. psyche. Um, and why am I this body? Why, when you, because, well, if you're in your car, you don't think you're the car. Why don't you think you're the car when you're in it? Because you can get out. And you can see that you're separate from it. But I'm not separate from my body. But then if we were to separate parts of your body, like take away your arm, 
would you still be you? You would be, if we took away the leg. Hmm? And of course, there are people that have lost arms and legs and kidneys and so forth, and lungs and, and so on. And so it would appear that you're not their body <laughs> by that um, simple logic. Hmm? And then there's, well, mind. So I am my mind, I am my, I am my thoughts, and so forth. Of course, we can separate thoughts from ourself as well. We're doing thinking. Hmm? Thoughts change all the time. I think in one way, later I think in another way. So those thoughts that were me, later are somebody else's thoughts. They're not mine. I don't agree with them anymore. And so because they change, they're not me. And this what we're talking about. What are you all the time? Hmm? And so... It, in this way, we, 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 we gradually come to the idea that what we are is this sense of I. Hmm? I is the smallest word in English language, probably in any language. Hmm? It's the most used word hmm? and the most misunderstood one. <laughs> No one says, in English at least, I, probably in, other, in any other language, any word more than I. Hmm? And again, it's a small one, but what is it? What is the I? And so what we come to is that the I is, the, is that which is the basis of all experience. And everything else we've talked about, cars, bodies, body parts, thoughts, and so forth, are all experienced. Um, so when so, and this is the definition of Jiva Goswami. Uh, the I is uh, the, the consciousness is, has a is that which we refer to when we say I, which is not reducible. We've reduced everything else here, but the I is is at the bottom. Hmm? Um, there's a Vedantic idea, and it's it's a, it's a, it's a it's a well thought out one that. That of course consciousness is irreducible; uh, it cannot be dismissed. The very act of dismissal requires consciousness to to do the dismissing. So, it's at the bottom of everything. It's what we are. This is the the spiritual uh, yogic and Vedanta uh, perspective. The modern world and the scientific community—they're trying to avoid this at all at all costs because it has certain implications to it, and um, it it appears on the surface to go against um, what seems to be a building body of evidence that there's nothing outside of the physical laws. But as they build the evidence to that, the question of what it, what, it, what is physical, what is matter, um, keeps rising up and changing. <laughs> And so forth. So there is an attempt philosophically and scientifically or through philosophy to interpret scientific data to say, to posit, to believe that consciousness can be reduced to matter, but it's a belief, number one. And number two, the fact is that in science we, we don't even know what matter is to reduce consciousness to it. Um, so problem. Um, and we think, of course, the problem is because consciousness is not matter and and um, there are 
um, physical world is not necessarily closed, and there is a possibility of um, uh, of an influence outside of the natural world to influence the natural world. Hmm? That's what consciousness does by will and 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 so forth. Um, and that's something that you can experience through spiritual practice and meditation and and so on. So, so the word Chaitanya means consciousness in this sense. Hmm? But it says something, I've talked a little bit about consciousness and really all I've said about it is it's not the body, it's not the mind, it's not the, different from the natural world, it's not this and it's not that, it's not this and it's not that. It is, but what is it? <laughs> so we've kind of defined it, in a sense, in a negative way. Neti, neti, not this, not that. Hmm? As the Upanishads say. Uh, but what Chaitanya Charit Amrita seeks to do, which is very interesting and peculiar in a sense, even within the context of the sacred texts of the Hindus, is to pick up where that leaves off. Hmm? So what it is not is one thing. So Chaitanya Charitamrit. Chaitanya means consciousness. Charit means character. And Amrit means Amrit means deathless or immortal. It also means nectar because it's like the fountain of youth to use a European term or the, um, the well this is the, the Hindu term the the, uh, the Soma Rasa, the, 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 the nectar of immortality, the, the drink of the gods, um, as it's thought. Um, uh, so Amrit means no death or immortal, and it also means nectar, hmm? like some kind of, you could drink it and become immortal idea, which is what they were looking for when they came here, I think, the Spaniards, the fountain of youth. <laughs> they got old doing it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, of course, the idea is it's not out there. It's in. It's inside. So, as we say sometimes, go within or go without. <laughs> so, so, uh, so Chaitanya Charit Amrita. So, Chaitanya is consciousness, but this book is about the the immortal character of consciousness or the character of consciousness in immortality. In other words, we know that consciousness, if we know or conclude that consciousness is not physical or psychic, hmm, then it means it lies beyond the, the, the time and space. Hmm. Um, it transcends the natural world. It's supernatural. Sometimes people say, I don't believe in the soul, but no one could say, I don't believe in consciousness. Now, people define consciousness in different ways. I'm defining it in a particular way, and there's a materialistic attempt to, to define it as something that goes on in the brain that we haven't figured out what it is yet. Hmm. So we're not bothering with that. Uh, they haven't figured it out yet, and we don't think it is part of the brain. And we have a line, a lineage, and other lineages as well, of Vedanta besides our own, that's full of experiencers that speak about the 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 unmitigated um, experience, direct experience of consciousness through inward um, pursuit and 
in a systematic way, not just I imagine I went inside and God spoke to me, and, but in, through a systematic way of withdrawing the senses from sense objects, which is sitting. There's a saying, uh, I think, by a Buddhist author, don't just do something, sit there, which is quite the opposite of what we used to hear as, ki- as kids. you know. So, and it takes a lot to just sit there. It's easy to be busy and not answer the questions that kids ask. Daddy, why am I? I mean, don't ask that. Ha, ha, they laugh at it, you know. I asked that when I was a kid, too. There are no answers to that. Get busy. So we, we are busy, 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 unfortunately, and um, busy not answering the deeper questions of life um, by methods that are thought to answer them as described in the sacred text that involve going within, going about it in a different way. And there's many lineages of deeply experienced persons in this regard that say very similar, if not the same, things about consciousness. Hmm? So we call this intersubjectivity. So you get some objectivity about the subjective experiences when this person has it, this person has it, this person has it, and they're all using the same methodology or a similar methodology as other different types of yoga and nuanced types of spiritual approaches. But on the bottom line, they're all seeking to experience the nature of consciousness. And then relative to the approach, the experience may have nuanced differences, but there are common ground there. The experience that, I, that I'm eternal. Hmm? That, I have, that I'm constituted of a kind of knowing that makes all other knowing unknowing, not worth knowing. Hmm? This kind of knowledge and a kind of ananda, bliss, hmm? a joy that exceeds anything that uh, that could be construed as joy through the uh, uh, a thing or a thought, let's say, that has no joy, obviously, unto itself. Anyway, so the self is a unit of joy, of sat, of chit, of ananda. Hmm? That's the basic idea. But here this book is talking about, okay, let's go on from there. What is the, within eternality, what is the character of consciousness? What are the possibilities of consciousness? That's where we go from this kind of negative description, which I mean in a positive way, it's not this, it's not that, to its prospect. And here, of course, the, the idea is the prospect is personified in the person of Sri Chaitanya, who is the um, fig, spiritual, religious uh, figure in human history that um, um, is reported by numerous, numerous learned people. I mean, he has six, seven, eight different biographies about him from persons either um, who were in his presence or just a half a generation or generation afterwards. Um, and they spoke about him as the very embodiment of, of ananda, of spiritual ecstasy. Um, the descriptions are extraordinary as to the kind of transformations, physical transformations, that occurred as a result of that inner ecstasy and there's, there's no, uh, this is not to judgmental, I mean, it's just a fact. 
religious figure in, in human history that, <coughs> excuse me, more embodies, <coughs> excuse me, spiritual ecstasy than what we witnessed in him. And this, this means to tap into the Ananda aspect of the self. And so the, the founding teachers of the, of the lineage, they took the scriptural map, if you will, of all the sacred texts, and they saw his, in his person a certain measure of ecstasy and Ananda, and then they located him on the map, and they identified him in this way as Krishna in pursuit of Radha's experience of him from her perspective, whatever that is, the ecstasy of Radha hmm, that she feels in relation to Krishna. And so they see saw him as a combined um, descent of Radha and Krishna, Krishna pursuing the experience of Radha's love for him. The idea is something like this, that Krishna is ecstasy personified, hmm, and he notices that The Radha, his counter-whole, has experience of something in himself that he doesn't experience. Just like your partner can experience something about you that, you know, you don't have to tell you about it. You're acting like this, you know. <laughs> and so, so, and that is driving her like mad in ecstasy. And he is really the kind of connoisseur of love and ecstasy. And so he sees that the measure of her experience exceeds his own. So it's a psych, it's kind of an existential crisis for Krishna. I thought I was the king of ecstasy and everybody sees me as such. But the fact is, if I were to be candid with you, he says, Radha's ecstasy seems to exceed mine. So how do I figure this out? Of course, he's an intelligent person. He realized, Oh, it's something in me. I am the center. It's something in me that makes her the way that she is. But it's something in me that I don't can only, only only be experienced from her vantage point, from the vantage point of bhakti. She is called Bhakti Devi, the queen of bhakti. So in every bhakta, in every devotee, there's a little bit of Radha, if you will. A little bit of the ecstasy of Radha. This is the idea. So... So, seeing that he wants to experience himself, the ideas from the vantage point of the devotee of himself. Hmm? Very peculiar idea. And so, the Godhead descends as a devotee of himself and naturally, in the pursuit of that experience, teaches devotion by his own example. An example speaks louder than precept. So, it's a powerful uh, narrative speaking of the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, many deep, as we're speaking a little bit, philosophical, theological points are raised and how to live the life of uh, a devotee and rise to that experience oneself. That's what the book is about. So, <laughs> in this, uh, and, and it means to rise as a unit of consciousness hmm, into a transcendental rapport or relationship with, with the God, with Krishna, that we call rasa. Hmm? Rasa is, is really the, the eternal, about the eternal 
uh, immortal character, the, con- the, the, the character of consciousness in immortality, the character where there's where there's characteristics in consciousness, rather than con- rather as opposed to consciousness being indeterminate, a determinate expression of consciousness, where there are qualities in consciousness. Consciousness takes a shape. Love takes a f- has a form that expresses itself. Hmm? <laughs> um, so there's. It, consciousness in an indeterminate state, so to speak, and then there's determinate consciousness, where you can actually talk about it, because the indeterminate consciousness, you can say, it's not this, it's not that. It's not like anything in this world. We can't compare it to anything. How can we define it? Hmm? But, it but when we're speaking about consciousness in a determinate condition, we're talking about consciousness with qualities and movement, um, character. That's interesting, because Brahman as I often say, is everywhere. The underlying consciousness, the ground of being is everywhere, and therefore it can't move because it's already everywhere. So where can it go? If you're everywhere, there's nowhere to go. Hmm? But we find that Krishna is moving. We call that Leela. That's very peculiar. So that which is everywhere is somehow moving. How can that be? The force is bhakti. The force that drives the Leela Hmm? What makes Krishna dance? It's it's Radha, hmm? Hmm? her love. So the de- the devotee brings, in in a sense, a determinate character to consciousness. Hmm? It becomes determined. It, it takes a shape in, in 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 love of God. Leela is movement that's unlike the movement of this world, which we call karma, obligatory movement. You've sown, and now you reaped. You've taken, and now you owe. Leela is not a movement that you have to do, or that you move, or a movement out of a sense of of being empty, and that I'll get, I'll become more by acquiring. It's a rather a movement out of fullness, a celebratory movement. I'm so full, I should celebrate, invite friends over, tell them, let's have a party, something like that. <laughs> So this is the idea of, of Leela. So we want to enter the party. Hmm? Not just leave the world and be peaceful. We want peace and love, both. Hmm? So that's what this book is about. And we are, are just at the final section now of chapter 13, which has been a long build-up to the beginning of the narrative itself. And in this chapter, we have a synopsis of the first part of the narrative, the Adi Lila. There's the Adi Lila, Adi means beginning, Madi Lila means the middle, and Anti Lila means the end. So the Lila of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the narrative of his life, is divided into three sections. We heard that earlier in this chapter. The middle section is the most important because the way is shown there for us. Hmm? Um, there's other ways in which to emphasize that the the beginning Leela is more important. There's other ways in which to emphasize that the end Leela is more important. But Kaviraj, the author, has chosen to emphasize the middle Leela as the way. And we're now in the towards the end of a brief synopsis of the beginning Leela. In the next chapter, we'll begin the actual narrative of the beginning Leela. So in this synopsis of the uh, beginning part of, of the Leela, We've heard now that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has appeared. Hmm? 
He'll tell it again in more detail as he goes through the actual narrative. But in brief, he said what? The origin, the, the cause, the, 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 that which is behind the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he began with the esoteric reason that I just touched on. Krishna wanted to experience Radha's love for him, so otherworldly. For that reason he appeared. He said he appeared, but before he appeared, his his Guru Varga appeared, means the elders in his life, his guru, his grand guru, his father, his mother, his uncle, all the seniors in his life. Amongst them, Advaita and Haridas were mentioned, uh, prominent figures in the Leela. And having mentioned a few names, then he began to speak about Advaita and the significance of Advaita, who called Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to appear through his... Um, Um, like morning worship, hmm? he worshipped the uh, the uh, uh, shalagram representing Vishnu uh, with uh, uh, well, it represents Krishna also, but as you like, but with Tulsi and water from the Ganges and this, uh, and he, we heard he called Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So this is a reference to the external reason for his appearance. This is an internal reason and an external reason. External reason to give compassion to the to the world and uh, uh, and and so on, and so we talked a little bit about that. How the world arises out of out of, out of compassion. Hmm? Why there is a world that we experience, um, and how Advaita or Mahavishnu that he represents is the uh, embodiment of such compassion. For the Godhead to experience compassion and bestow mukti, liberation, there has to be somebody to bestow it upon. So, living in the in the Paravyom, in the spiritual dimension, everybody's already liberated. So, this is not something that happens in time, but the idea is the Godhead is full of love, so the compassionate love is also part of the Godhead's experience. So, there needs to be a world where that can be ex- expressed. That's what this world is. It's an opportunity for the Godhead to bestow compassion. Mm-hmm. And so the Mahavishnu expands from Narayan and, and, and the world. Uh, the one Mahavishnu becomes many. Mm-hmm. The one becomes many mm-hmm. out of joy. But the many are small. Mm-hmm. And the material nature is big that, that the, the one presides over, so there's problems. Hmm? And so he avatars in different forms, the sense stretches, resolve the problem, give the teachings, give the Vedas, set example. And so so this is all called the Shristi Leela, the Leela of creation. Hmm? It has no beginning, it goes in cycles. And, and it's, it's, it, it's, it's, the, it's the arena, the realm in which the Godhead experiences compassion. So, Advaita is that uh, is, a, is a personification in this world of the Mahavishnu, and so he was mentioned, and some things were said about him, about him calling Mahaprabhu and so on, as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so on and so forth. We've gone through that, and then the then the the time, the quality of the time that Chaitanya appeared was described in his birth chart, astrological chart. Was, was was given because it was customary 
in, in those times that when a child was born, there would be a Jyotish or an astrologer who would do the chart and then would tell something about the child's characteristics, future, um, so on and so forth. So the story here was, as it was described, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was in the womb for 13 months. It's a long time, instead of nine or nine and a half, or even stretching it. So there was some concern, and the the his his maternal grandfather, Elam Chakravarti, was an astrologer. He was called to the scene, and he did the chart, looking his 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 daughter, and so and said that he will appear at this time, and was shortly just shortly thereafter in the thirteenth month. So the chart was was given. That we talked a little bit about that, a little bit about astrology, and it was. Uh, Brief discussion, but the the idea, of course, is that is that the the stars, the planets, they influence us. I mean, they do physically. Obviously, the moon influences the the tides. The sun influences us us uh, in, because by the sun's influence, we have vegetation and we have rain and and we have food. So we're influenced by the sun physically, and we're influenced psychically also by the sun. The mind is enlivened and when the sun comes up and the moon get the mind goes a certain way when the moon comes out to the full moon so they 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 these are examples of how um, in the heavens if you will the um, the spheres the planets influence us physically and psychically astrology in in a sense just just takes it a little further and says that there are more subtle influences on the psyche as well and as, as much as the psyche is influenced, the physical body will be influenced by the stars, and not just the sun, and not just the moon, and and, and so on and so forth. And, and um, this is thought to be very superstitious amongst the rationalists today. But I, I, I didn't mention this. But after I we discussed this briefly the last time, I, when I was walking back to my um, tree that I stay under every night. Um, out there in the forest somewhere, <laughs> I just come in at night. <laughs> but uh, I uh, I remembered that I had uh, seen a, um, a a video, brief video of a of a godbrother of mine who was an astrologer, and he was invited onto a show, a television show, by a famous skeptic named Michael Shermer. He's famous in the skeptic world, and he's famous for challenging. You know, ideas that are spiritual, ideas that are uh, things that are said to contradict nature and the para the parapsychological realm and so on and so forth. So he obviously would attribute um, uh, place astrology in the realm of, of superstition, mis misattributed cause and effect. Hmm? That is called a superstition. Hmm? So on the show, <laughs> I just mentioned it to you. On the show. Uh, the astrologer, who is actually a devotee of Krishna, he, uh, as well, he um, was given the task of doing the chart of uh, six or eight people. Hmm? But what Shermer had done is on two of the people, he changed the charts. Hmm? So when the astrologer read the chart for one lady, it was actually another lady's chart, and vice versa. So he went through the first, whatever, six people, and he was giving their chart, and they were going, yeah, that sounds like me. But, you know, these things can be kind of vague sometimes, and you can go, yeah, I think that's me. I want to be like that, you know, or something like that. So so 
the suspicion of 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 the, of the skeptic was that, well, you know, this is pretty broad. You know, some of the things were, were you know, fairly spe- 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 specific. But anyway, when we get to the two, then, you know, we'll we'll show the the facts. Uh, um, so, when he read the one of the lady's charts, she said, "No, that's not me. No, nothing like that." Mm-mm. Nah, boo, you lost. You know. So the audience is thinking, "Ah, see, it didn't work. Works sometimes for some gullible people, but this lady's got her head together, you know." And so, the, and then the last one, no, that's not me either. No, no. But then he had to reveal Shermer, and he was very un, 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 uh, unnerved <laughs> to have to do it that he had changed the two charts. And so then he read each of their actual charts, and they said, "Yeah, that's me." <laughs> so it was very. Um, um, I wrote to the guy when I saw it, and he said, "Yeah, Shermer was really, really pissed off that night." Yeah. So, <laughs> a little evidence, anyway. So, so for the for the, uh, the power of astrology, I mentioned the book Psyche and the Cosmos that I had read, which was very powerful and compelling, and very rational um, approach to which used astrology to saying that, 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 there's, that, the, that the universe has intelligence, that there's a, there's, a, there's a supernatural, there's a cause, there's a purpose to life, there's meaning. We're units of meaning and value. We're, we're units of consciousness and so forth. So, at any rate, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's chart was given. Now, one of my governors is an astrologer. We've asked him to give us a good reading of it, so we're waiting for that to come in of all the details. Of course, we know his life, so, but to see how it corresponds with the different movements, the placing of the, of the stars, the heavens in his birth chart at the time of his birth. So we're waiting for that to come in. Um, of course, this is very peculiar. And he said it in his email to us that I have to do the astrological chart of God. That's pretty <laughs> pretty peculiar. Another um, devotee, uh, Bhakti Sundar Gubinda Maharaj, who was the spiritual successor of Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj when he passed away, was also a Jyotish or an astrologer. He used to say that the only thing wrong with astrology, he said, is that the most important planet is not in the uh, in part of the reading, and that's Goloka, Krishna's planet. <laughs> so what he meant to say is that that, that there's there are other factors hmm, um, that for the spiritual person, perhaps uh, there's a way I think that you could read them astrologically. But um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the person. It is said by Narasim Thakur, Goloker Premodan Harinam Sankirtan. The love, the wealth of Prem, that is Prem, is pure love in Goloka, the abode of Krishna, has been exported here through the vehicle of the chanting of Krishna's name that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was the personification of. That was the, ma- the method to his madness, to his ecstasy. Hmm. So he's brought Goloka into our charts if you will. So the, the ordinary Jyotish won't be able to read that, but a good one will see there's an extraordinary influence in your life here hmm? that can take you beyond all the planetary and karmic uh, influences. Hmm. So, we, then, then tonight we hear, Nadi Ujjagiri Puna Chandra Gaudhari Kripakori Hoila Udai Papatama Hulanash Chijakate Ulas Jagabari Hari Dwani Hai. Beautiful Bengali 
poetry. Here he starts in a different meter hmm? um, to conclude this chapter with a be- number of beautiful verses that are really worth reciting just in the original uh, Bengali. He mentions Nadya Ujagiri. Ujagiri is a way of speaking about sunrise. Hmm? Ujagiri is like the first point on the mountain where the sun touches or shows. Hmm? This is Ujagiri. So it's a way of speaking about sunrise. Nadya Ujagiri Punachandra Gorahari. This is that 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 Gorhari, who is compared to the full moon, Purnachandra, because we heard when he was born, hmm, there was a lunar eclipse. And the lunar eclipse is personified in the Vedic astrology as the planet Rahu. It's a node. right? It's personified as Rahu. And it's thought to be a malefic influence. And so the malefic influence of Rahu covered the full moon because the full moon had spots because the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was compared to the full moon without any spots. Hmm? Just pure. Hmm? And also the implication is that his appearance and his method, again, that he taught to his madness, to his actually the chanting of Krishna Nam, which everybody was doing at that time because you got the malefic influence of the eclipse was such that they went in the Ganges and they bathed and they would all chant Krishna, Govinda, and so forth. So his appearance was heralded by the chanting of the names and Rahu arranged this, the, the, the poetic thought is, and the implication philosophically is that his appearance in the method, his chanting is such that it can turn negatives into positives. Love has the power to turn faults into ornaments. You know, all contradictions will be resolved in love, and the world is a a knot of contradictions. Hmm? I've said it before, the moral life is the attempt to be perfectly virtuous, which is absolutely impossible. Hmm? Because you step down here, it comes up there. You step down there, it comes up here. You agree with this politician 99%, but, but he voted wrong on the gun laws or something, you know, I mean, whatever it is. They don't like that part of him, whatever it is. Uh, um, so, there's a lesson in that. I've given an example. You know, I found a spider in a fly's web. I went to free the spider, but there was this, the, the, the fly. I found a fly and a spider. I went to free the fly, but then the spider came walking, and I thought, I'm taking his dinner. I, what? <laughs> there's no, that's the world. Hmm? So the point is, moral life is how to how to behave, how to act. Hmm? But uh, there's no way in which we can act in this world to be perfectly virtuous. Hmm? You, you have to eat to live. If you don't eat this, well, you're going to eat that. Hmm? Uh, so you know we can go down the scale and say, well, we we, we go down on the chain of life and. It'd be vegetarians because it's different to pick an apple than it is to, you know, slaughter an animal. Obviously, there's less pain involved, but still, uh, you still have to breathe, and you're going to kill microbes by that. So there's no way to be perfectly virtuous, so to speak. Hmm? So the idea is that the moral life 
is a shadow of absolute goodness. And there's a platonic and more realm of absolute good, absolute beauty. And the self, the atma, the unit of consciousness, is, is a unit of that. A unit of that. Has a capacity to live in that soil. That's where it belongs. And so there's beyond the moral life or the religious life, in the Hindu circles it would be called the, the, the karma marg, the path of karma, and dharma, righteousness, is the spiritual life. So there's religious life and then there's spiritual life from our perspective. I think it's true in every religious tradition because you have this religious life and then there's the mystics in all the traditions. The Sufi, the, 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 the Rumis, the, the Jesuses, the Buddhas, um, and so forth. And then you've got the religious versions of all this stuff that fight with one another or everything, <laughs> and so on. Uh, my uniform is better than your uniform, and, 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 and whatnot. Um, I use this word for you. This one's right, and that one's wrong. Instead of, they're both different expressions of the same thing. So we have to go to the heart of the religious traditions. There we find the spiritual. There we find the mystical. There we find real hope because look at modern science, which is another way of knowing, right? We say religion is a way of knowing. Hmm? Um, Modern science was born as a Christian. Hmm? Newton, Copernicus, all these people, they were all Christians. They thought modern science would, through that they would validate the existence of the God. Of course, as modern science grew up, it became agnostic. Now, it's an atheist. Hmm? But it, if it is to prevail, it'll become, it has to become a mystic. That's full circle. Hmm? Um, well, that's the, well, that's the, that, that, then it'll live into old age, become a mystic, because in mysticism, hmm, we find something more than in religion and what lacks in religion and what becomes a really a misunderstanding of the heart of the tradition which is mystical and otherworldly if you will or um, a real answer of how to live in the world is found there uh, the, the breakdown of that you know r- religion is just, just thought to be some superstition and uh, and a bunch of laws that don't pertain anymore and, and so on and so forth so so mysticism this is where we want to go hmm? again we're back to experiencing the I and its prospects and so on and so forth so we got there from from the astrology I guess we were saying that the world has uh, purpose hmm? meaning overarching meaning and so forth um, and and what Udagiri Udagiri the sunrise. So here described here is, uh, that, that he appeared. Right, we're saying that he, he, he Purnachandra Gorhari Gorhari made a name for Chaitanya. He was like the full moon and the Rahu. Hmm, um, got the other moon out of the way so that he could be. Uh, his birth could be heralded and was heralded by the chanting and the chanting has the power to turn faults into ornaments. This is the power 
of love. Love has the power to resolve the moral problems. Hmm? That's why Schopenhauer thought, and he was influenced by Buddhism and Hinduism, German philosopher, that compassion was the basis of morality. Hmm? So if we, if you, if if you love your neighbor like yourself, well, and how to be able to behave with other people is figured out. Hmm? And and in order to love your neighbor like yourself, you have to see yourself and your neighbor to be more than whatever we appear to be on the surface. Otherwise, you can't love them <laughs> like yourself because your material bodily self and mental self is different. Hmm? So there has to be something we have in common that's more than our humanity. It's that we are I. We are units of consciousness. Hmm? We are part of the ground of of being, so to speak. So, so this requires moving away from taking and exploitation, and, and that's part, obviously, of loving. Not taking is part of loving. So even renunciation is a, is a step away from taking, and in this sense, it's a step towards loving on a deeper level. Hmm? Even psychologically, we, we learn in relationships, you want to let the person be who they are instead of be what I need you to be for me only. Um, so there has to be some stepping back, so to speak, to look at them objectively. Then you have a better capacity to, to love them, to, to give to them, hmm? instead of there being, they being objects from which you, you, you're taking. That doesn't work very well. Um, so, so, so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's his doctrine, his teaching, his example is very much a doctrine of loving hmm? uh, in, a, in a full sense of the term, and its appearance is heralded um, in the way it is here um, by the eclipse and the implications of it is that he will give a teaching um, by which even malefic influences can be turned into positives, a teaching of love that it has the capacity to turn faults into ornaments. Hmm? Um, So uh, here is described this. Gohari Purnachandra, Udyagiri. Let me go read the translation for us here of this verse. Hmm. So, thus by his causes mercy, the full moon, Gohari, rose in a district of Nadia. So, he born during the lunar eclipse, and then with the sunrise, it's his, his first day. Hmm. I'll, I'll end with this. Uh, the sunrise that is mentioned here is a very, very beautiful thing in West Bengal, where he appeared. West Bengal is in the it, is at the it, it, the Bay of Bengal, so where the Ganges empties out into the ocean. So it's a long journey from the glacier high in the Himalayas all the way down to to to, to the ocean. It's a it's a culmination for the river, the sacred river there, and it's the flatland. Right, and if you stand in the morning and look out, you see just endless fields of green, of rice paddy, hmm? flat as far as you can see. It's all flat, and then the sun appears. The sun is, of course, very bright, and you can't look at it. It's powerful. It influences us. Uh, we're dependent upon it in so many ways, so it's kind of like a metaphor for God. 
where would we be without the sun? There's a meditation, a Buddhist meditation, to think of where the sun is all day long. Hmm? It's a way of fixing the mind and, and it, how it's influencing me and, and so on. And so on. So, at any rate, and in the Vedas, in the sacred text of the Hindus, the Hindu, the, the sun is often metaphorically compared to, to God, like this, like we're dependent upon the sun. If it didn't rise, what would happen? And so on and so forth. So, it's powerful. The point is, and it's bright, and you can't look at it. It's so entirely. But my point here is, when the sun rises in in, in West Bengal, it just pops up like a big, big rust-colored ball. Hmm? And you can look at it. Not like you can't look at it at noon, but you can look at it, right? Because it's so much... It's, I guess it's closer. Hmm? Uh, I don't know that much about the science of it, but I guess it's closer. You can look at it. In fact, you can't stop looking at it. Hmm? And it feels as if you could just run up and touch it. Hmm? It feels like the, the sun has softened itself hmm? and come within your your grasp, landed on earth to become one of us, something like that. So that which is a metaphor for God and some distance from us and can't even look at it has now come close and made himself accessible hmm? um, and soothing and... And again, you can't stop looking at it. I mean, it feels like you could just run and, and touch the sun. Hmm? So this is the, the way, has much to do with the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu because he teaches about a concept of God that is sweet and charming, not somebody that has no face, sitting on a cloud, you can't see him, but that you can get close to, so close that this like Radha is close, like, almost like romantically, hmm? or the intimacy of friendship, Hmm? The baseline of love in the realm of Krishna is called sakya, friendship. That's the baseline. Hmm? From there it goes to vatsalya, parental love and romantic love. But the baseline is sakya. Hmm? And it's, it's, it, 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 it extends from the beginning, from the bottom to the end. To the, it touches the madhurya, the romantic. Hmm? It touches the vatsalya. It touches the dasya. So, and the rust color is the is the color of friendship in the Indian aesthetics. Every emotion has a color. So it's the color of of friendship. So it's like the Vrindavan idea of Krishna, of love and intimacy that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to give, hmm, is very much like uh, uh, resembles this this phenomenon hmm, of the sun appearing. Uh, landing on Earth, if you will, for for for, for a few moments in uh, in West Bengal. Sriman Mahaprabhu ki jai. So that's it for tonight. We'll continue uh, tomorrow with a little further discussion and conclude the chapter. Hopefully, then. Any question? What is the time? Seven thirty-seven. Okay. Stop there. Shriman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sushidavji Gopal ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Bindaki jai, Gaur Premanandi.